You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Know your role and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is the legendary tennis player and coach Jan Kodesh. Throughout his career, Jan won a total of 25 international singles and 31 doubles tournaments. The highlights were singles victories at the 1970 and 71 French Open, and Wimbledon in 1973. In 1980, he was part of the winning Czechoslovakian Davis Cup team that featured Ivan Lendl, Tomáš Schmidt, and Pavel Slozil. From 1982 to 1987, he was the non-playing Davis Cup captain, and in 1990, he was inducted into the Tennis Hall of Fame. Jan is an engaging and energetic person, the type of coach who makes decisions with the future firmly in mind. He doesn't take the easy road, And in this interview, you will hear him share stories from his own history and some of the players he has led, like Ivan Lindel, that illustrate his own views on dedication and focus. Towards the end, he talks about balancing the drive for perfection and adjusting your expectations because no one can play to 100% all of the time. But if you play to 60 to 70% of your best every time, you will consistently win. This resonated with me strongly as I've often come across the paralyzing impact that the search for perfection can have on people. 
and I've experienced it too, and learning to deal with it is an important life and leadership skill. Jan talks about the importance of mental fitness and developing it so you can keep going and persevering, and he shares a great story about how he eventually won Wimbledon after losing in the first round on the six previous occasions. This was a terrific interview with a person who has learnt and experienced so much in their life, and I hope you find it as enjoyable as Jim and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Mr. Jan Kodesh, good evening. Good evening. And welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. I'd like to thank you for agreeing to join us. Can you tell us where you are in the world today and what you've been up to? I'm an Italian man. I'm at home. Uh, I'm looking at my son, that he's playing with, uh, with my grandchildren. They might, be, they might be also a little bit to play tennis. So the boy is, boy is nine and the girl is 13, so we'll see. You know, it's, but, but you have to realize that uh, tennis is a very difficult sport. Most of the people, they don't even realize how difficult sport it is. I tell you why it's difficult, because you have to, not only to be ready for the big matches, that means that you have a good game, you have a good strokes, and, but you have to also have in your brain some kind of confidence that you are able to hit right shots in the important time. And you have many, many players which can play well in practice. They have a fantastic, in practice they beat everybody, but once they come to the important match, they don't win. So I'm looking forward to asking you some questions about why that is in this interview. Because you, of course, live in the beautiful city of Prague and have been playing tennis for over 65 years. I started when I was eight, yes. So... You started when you were eight, and of course you've travelled all over the world. We were talking earlier that you visited 80 different countries. Yeah. You've also had some experience with some great coaches, Pavel Koda, Yaroslav Drobny. Mm-hmm. Yaroslav advised you when you won your Grand Slams. But I'd like to ask my first question, which is what do you think great coaches do differently? You know, the thing is that uh, this is an always question. Which coach is great? Because there are different feelings of the players. And you can see today players, they, they changing the coaches quite often. Someone has a coach for one year, two years, then they switch and then they switch again, they switch again. And doesn't mean if the player wins the Grand Slam that his coach was great. He was helpful. He helped a lot of things. But doesn't really mean he was the best or great because the guy won the Grand Slam. Because the, the coaches, they sitting on the side. They can have a breakfast with you. They give you the advice. They, uh, they show you the video. They can do a lot of things around. I don't want to say like a little slaves for the player. But the player, when he come up there and there is a full stadium, and he has, a, he has a ball here, set point, match point, or whatever he has. He has to hit the ball himself. And he has to finish it. And he can't miss. And the coach is not going to help him. Coach never is going to help him. Coach can never win the match. This is my, this is my opinion. And second, I'd like to also say, there is a very big difference between teacher and coach. Because when you are 
like the children, you know, which they starting now at uh, five, maybe six, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the parents, they want to, you know, all this. So I call these people teachers because the teachers, they start to like in the school, they start to tell you how to handle the racket, watch the ball, what to do, you have to go down your knees and they slowly start to learn that you are able to hit the ball over the net. And to hit the ball over the net takes you, sometimes takes a one year, from eight to nine, you know, and then comes the junior tennis from 10 uh, up to 18, you know. So, so this is a, some kind of big procedure. And those people which are around these youngsters, I call them more the teachers, not the coaches. So, and if you go through the uh, career of junior, it's a very long period, much longer than many people think. And you have now juniors which are around 17, 18 years old, and they have enough. Suddenly, they travel too much, too many tournaments. Uh, you know, they feel they didn't have any, uh, any time like the other children. They, they miss a lot of other things. You know, they, they feel like a slaves because mama, tata, uh, the parents, they want me to play and play and play. And sometimes the children, they don't even want to play. They play because the parents want them to play. And I said, you can have a golden coach or golden teacher if the child doesn't want to work, doesn't have the, the will to be somebody, no one can help, no coach can help. You know what I, what I like to say by this? I don't like, I don't like the trainers because everybody, uh, for example, some players say, I have to have a trainer with me on the circuit because he wake me up in the morning and he push me to go to run. I say, I mean, no one is going to wake up Nadal and tell Nadal, you have to go practice and you have to go gym and whatever. You have to have it in yourself, in, inside. And if you don't have it inside, you never become a champion. I'd like to talk about your childhood for a minute because you were 12 when your father took you down to Czechy Karlin Tennis Club. No, no, no. It was, I was not eight. Uh, then we took me Stvanice. I took Stvanice. Me first Czech uh, lawn tennis club. I was 12, yes. You were 12 at, at Karlin yes. or Stv Stvanice? Yes, from Karlin I went to Stvanice, which is so uh, an island. Uh, on the island, the beautiful island on yeah, the Baltimore yeah, yeah, River. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he took you there so you could have better access to yes, a better coach. Yes, and I got a good teacher, which was working all the children from 8 to 13. And we were mainly practice against the wall. We play against the wall. They were close to the wall, then a little bit far away, a little bit like this. They were the points there, you know, and we had to, uh, they, they, they count. They count how many times I hit, hit this hole, uh, 10, 10 times, 20 times, you know, and we, we against the wall all the time. Volleys, half volleys, everything was uh, practiced against the wall. He was a great, a great man, and he was the, he was the guy which... Uh, uh, prefer the Bill Tilden system. Bill Tilden was the best player in 1920, and uh, he wrote the book, and the book uh, called Tennis from A up to Z. Okay, and this book was brought from America 
and the people in, in Czech they translated to Czech and they made the copies from it you know and uh, and also later on I find out that John Newcomb he also read this book from A to Z because and this man his call was Karl Semrat he was a uh, he was a, like a teacher for the businessmen, you know, and club members, you know. And besides that, he do, he did this kind of school twice a week. Uh, I went to him. And then when I become 14, 15, when I won the championships, I won the championships under 12. They, uh, I won the championships under 14, you know, and under 18, you know, I was growing, uh, winning uh, mostly all the age groups. So we were only two guys like uh, Ivan Lendl and myself, which won in the old, old, old age groups. Then I start to have uh, other players from Davis Cup. Uh, Davis Cup player was Yuri Jaworski and Pavel Korda. And I was a ball boy at that time for them. I was a ball boy, so I was on the post. You know, when first serve, second serve, I was on the post, you know, uh, running for the ball. So I was watching uh, and I see all the matches which Korda won, which lost, when he did the match point and make mistake, when he double faults. So I had my uh, my heart and my, 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 my eyes were into the match, you know, and as a ball boy. Because today ball boys, you know, they... They call around and, you know, they, they, are, they are not in. They are not in, you know. And this is the most important. And I remember that Jimmy Connors and also John McEnroe said, you have to love the game. And if you not start to love the game, you never become a good player. So I'd like to give you a quote back, actually. Now you're giving me one from Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe, and I'd, I'd like to read it to you if I could. I don't think a player wins Wimbledon because he has a coach. He wins because he's the best player. Where a coach can sometimes be useful is in discussing the strengths and weaknesses of the opponent. The year when I won, I was lucky enough to have my countryman and a former Wimbledon winner from 1954, uh, Yaroslav Drobny at hand. So I'd like to ask, how did Yaroslav help you win Wimbledon in 1973? Yaroslav Drobny was not the coach, but he was advisor. This is a big difference. So everybody mix it up together. I said, teacher, coach, advisor. And today you have many coaches, which I call hitters. They play with you and they hitters, they hitters. Uh, but I always say, did the hitter told you something? Was he smart? Did you get any smart advisors? It's so difficult to explain because uh, uh, some of them Maybe today coaches, they would say, oh, young Kodesh, he's an old-fashioned, you know, because he thinks, you know, today is a different, we have a different racket, we have a different this, we have a different that. But what is Nadal is playing? He's not making mistakes. He's not making mistakes. And all the guys, you know, hitting 100 miles per hour, you know, and they, don't, they do the mistakes. So the tennis, in my opinion, changed because of the equipment, but not as much compared to 1920. It's a slower physical condition, maybe the guys, but I think those guys, they had also the Australians, I mean, like Crawford and, and, and these guys, you know, the Harry Hopman and these guys, they also had a physical condition. They think they didn't have a condition. No, Lou Holt, it was unbelievable player. Emerson, Newcomb, you know, I mean, they all, they were so much fit, these guys, so much. They were even fitter than the guys today. 
you have to realize during the match what you can do and what you cannot do and you you know as a player your weaknesses and also you know your weapons and if you have a we say coach or advisor then this guy have to remind you don't do this and do that because most of the guys how they grow up they forget the most important things in tennis i tell you example when i was close to my career i was playing mainly doubles and i reached the finals and borg was in the final in singles and we were in the hotel and we were uh, had a breakfast and bergerin lenard bergerin the swedish coach of beyond borg he said he was always looking for someone he said jan would you give a hit to beyond before his finals you know warm him up because he didn't have any hitter Bergelin was old he didn't have any hitter so Bergelin look after who is here there is a Stelian Kores there is a Thomas Schmidt so they give you a hit so so we went on the court I played with Bjorn in the morning uh, 11 o'clock uh, half an hour and then he played the final and when we came out of the court Bergelin said to Bjorn Bjorn remember you play to win you don't play to make an exhibition uh, Roger Federer he hired uh, Stefan Edberg about two years ago three years ago whatever it is Edberg won I don't know six grand slams uh, the, the Roger won uh, 18 that time or 17 what you can say to the guy which won 18 grand slams you tell him uh, your stroke is bad and your tossing is bad and you can't you know what, what you can tell him you know what I mean? So, so it's difficult to coach. You have to realize if you coach the teenager, if you coach the junior, if you coach the professional player on the circuit, which is uh, number 50 in the world or number 60 or 200 or whatever, and if you coach guy from top 10, there are two different kind of things. I would say it's like First course, when you go to the school, then you go to the middle school, then you go to university, you know, there are, there are levels. Doesn't mean that you become coach of some good player because he made a contract with you, that uh, you, because it's not easy, you have to travel all the time with him, you know, and coaches, there are sometimes it's question of money. This guy, I have a, this coach because he's a little bit cheaper. This guy, he, he wants to travel all the time because there are coaches which they don't want to travel 50, 52 weeks. Like Ivan Lendl, he said to Mari, I am going to go with you four Grand Slams plus another six or eight ATP. Not all the time. Do the Mari as a champion of uh, need, need, uh, I would say, mm, I don't know the right word, need someone that is with him from the breakfast, during the lunch, to the evening and during the night? You have to be individual, you have to be individuality, you have to be yourself. If you become yourself, if you find out you have to have a plan and you have to have a will, what you can achieve, and you have to believe in, into it. 
you have to do it yourself. You can a hundred times you get the you, you get the advice from your mother, you get the advice from the father, you get advice from first coach. You know how many coaches I have? Because I had about seven or eight coaches. It was not only Corridor. Every coach which was around me, he tried to tell me something. And we were when we were in Davis Cup, you know, we were sitting with the Lendl and we were having the lunch. And some coach come and say, oh, Ivan, and you could maybe slice back and play a little bit more often, you know. And he was talking to the guy. He didn't say him go go to hell or whatever. He, you know, he he just uh, listen, listen, listen. And I said, and Ivan was very smart. You know what he said? He said, it's good to take all the advices, then you choose some of them which you put in your brain and the rest you throw away. But he listen everyone, you know, because some some players are not like that. Some players think, oh, this guy, he, he cannot tell me anything, what he should tell me, I, I won already championships, you know, I'm a, I'm a junior champion and, you know. So tennis is a very, very difficult sport and when you come, and I played uh, five Grand Slam finals with full stadiums, and if you come to the stadium, you start to have it throat like this. You can't breathe when you come to the court. It's a, such a something new. If you, for example, you mentioned Wimbledon, I played Wimbledon, and I lost six times uh, first round. I was unlucky because I played the top seeded guys. I played Roach, I, you know, I played Rysdale, I played Reeson, you know, I, I was losing first round. Then I won one round, I beat, I beat uh, first round uh, somebody, then I lost to Bob Lutz, so I think. And then it's important how you feel you play. You can lose, you can lose, but important is how did you play? How did you play? Because you can lose, but you can play well. You can fight, can be great match, and you don't win. So keep you in confidence. Because it's not like that, that you lose the match and you, you're dying because you don't win. The important is some kind of you, uh, you, uh, mental fitness, which you have, because then, then you uh, keep to saying to yourself, well, I lost. But next time I made these mistakes, I will change this. The strategy, you're working on the strategy all the time. You have to know there are so many different situations in the match, which are coming low ball here, there. And the most important, I think, is not to make easy mistakes. Because if you, if you look, everybody make mistakes. Federer make mistakes, Nadal make mistakes, everybody make mistakes. But how many? So, for example, bad mistake means that you have a all court is open, you have a, a volley here, and you put it down to the net. You know, but the guy does this only once for all tournament, and the others they do it every match. So uh, this is uh, this is a mental game. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I want to talk to you about it being a mental game because you mentioned it in the opening, how tough it is mentally. And you just gave this great example of you going to Wimbledon six times before you win a game and then you go on to win Wimbledon so you've got this great resilience you kept building you kept going forward and I read where you talked about Lendl and you were the non-playing Davis Cup captain yes yeah. and when you were talking about him you said he had extreme mental discipline yes and I'm just wondering how do you think an athlete today can develop mental discipline is it is it possible and if so how would you teach it I don't know how to teach them mental discipline. You have to be born with it. <laughs> I just know that we were, uh, I don't know, we were somewhere in New York or whatever, and, and it was a television. It was a great, great movie. We were in the middle of the movie. Lando said, it's nine o'clock, I go to sleep. And he stopped, and he went to sleep. All the others wanted to see the film to the end, which finished at 11, for example. But Ivan... He always, he had this discipline. When he gets up, when he goes to run, what he's going to practice. I tell you another thing. We were in Hamburg, German championships. Lendl was coming up player. He was not number one yet. And he said, Jan, you have to let me slice backhand. In the morning, every, every day in the morning, slice backhand. I was not a coach. I was the captain, uh, you know. And we come to the court. And he, then, he had match at one o'clock. We come to the court, it was 11, about 11.10. We play on the court and he, he made the backhand. To me, I make a top spin, he made a slice, top spin, slice, top spin, slice. We're ready like this, we're like this. And suddenly I watch, I, I, I say, Ivan, it's quarter to one. You have to go, you play on center court at one o'clock, you have to go to locker room. You have to go to locker room to, to have a shower and change your shirt. And he said, forget it. If I land this backhand, i be number one in the world. I will not go to the shower. I go straight to center court. And he went with the outfit, which he got for practice. He goes straight to the center court and, and he smashed someone there, 6262. You have to realize that every shot you, you learn uh, as a junior, uh, as a, on the way to the top, always has some weakness. So you can have a, uh, you, you can always improve it, always improve it. You know, so you can you can always have a better backhand. You can always have a better serve. It's it's not the limit. Doesn't exist. The limit doesn't exist. In preparing for today, I read a lot of articles about you in Czech and in English. I had to get the Czech ones translated. But you often talk about the importance of concentration and self-belief. These seem to be two themes that come up a lot. And they're two issues that are very important these days. People's concentration spans are shrinking. And I think also their self-belief gets crushed easily. Resilience is an issue for people. So if you were coaching today, how would you go about developing 
these two areas for your athletes? The first thing is when you are on the circuit, when you have a big tournament, whatever it is, and you want to win, you, can, you have to concentrate on your game. Forget the sister, forget the brother, forget, you, you, you know, uh, there is always something which bothers you. Uh, my father called because uh, he wants me to pick, pick him at the airport, or, you know, there is always something, you know. Nadal, he has extremely, extremely important concentration because he, you can see on him how he, everybody make a, make a fun from him that he does this, 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 like this, you know, and, but you know, he doesn't hear if the people are there, he doesn't hear even the, even the plane, he's into the match. And it's very difficult, especially on Grand Slams, because the matches are longer. You play best of five, best of three sets could be five. So you are concentrated. First set, second set, but it's a long. Most of the guys, they, they cannot concentrate all the time. That's why suddenly they want two sets and suddenly they, they lose two, one set or two sets, whatever. There are, there are some kind of uneven things. Mental fitness is very important. Uh, physical and mental fitness is very important. Everybody can learn the strokes, but uh, for example, I'm a friend of Petra Kvitova. She has a huge serve, fantastic serve, easy, easy going, you know, hand, drum, you know, she makes like this. And comes, comes suddenly she makes two double falls in the row, or three double falls in the row, because there is a little bit interruption, maybe a little bit more wind coming, a little bit more wind, a little bit of sun, a little bit of... You have to deal with all this. You have to deal. Uh, there are too many things. Suddenly, you know, you have a tiebreaker, especially at the US Open, and there is a guy stand up uh, and call, ah, you have a hair sausage, uh, John, sausage here. You know, no, no, that happens. That happens. And some Europeans, they just cannot take it because they say how the people in the US, they don't have any, any, any respect for the, for the guys which we play. Because this can never happen in London and never can happen in Australia. Because in Australia, this tennis is Australian sport. The people, they get used to it. They know they should be quiet when it's a tiebreaker. This is a different world a little bit, you know. So the concentration, in my opinion, is very important. You know, how to uh, learn or how to teach them, how to teach them, you know. It's, uh, there is a good advisor. The good advice is that when I come to Wimbledon, and I was bitching. I was in bad bounds. I can't play here. This is impossible. Bad bounds, bad bounds, bad bounds. You know, I was angry and you know, all the way. said, Hello, listen, you have bad bounds. You think that your opponent doesn't have bad bounds? He has also bad bounds. And I said, no, 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 I have a bad bounds. And he said, you know what? You have to slowly learn to laugh the grass. And if you come in love with the grass, you start to win. If you keep bitching on the grass, you never win. But it's true. This is a mental thing like this. And now these days, I saw Roland Garros and everybody, suddenly the tennis players today, they start to say, after the match, uh, court was slippery, there were the difficult conditions, it was so much wind. I mean, they making interviews. Like, like the wind wouldn't be uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when I played semifinals and Roland Garros was wind, uh, you know, and they, they do like bad conditions. I can't play because bad conditions. You have to be professional. 
And that's what I like about mainly Australians. They always, they never had the excuses. You know. That's what I like about Tony Roach and John Newcomb. They never had the excuses. You know. They lost the match and you never listen. Ah, uh, it was bad call. It was a too much wind. The court was this. They won or lost and they be quiet. But the Europeans crying, all the time crying. You know. <laughs> well, I watched some footage there's some no? there's some old footage of you on youtube no particularly from 1970 no you look very very calm which is why it's interesting listening to you describe yourself as not know, being but, calm but there is not much about 1970 well there's a little bit on there there's a little bit with franulovic there is a one really only i think in a way it's more but you look there's a little i found i found some old footage it's still it's in color <laughs> it's not that old but you look very very calm you don't look nervous but you, you probably saw Sir Seth already, not the beginning. Yeah, maybe. Because beginning, look, beginning is the most important. Not first, second game. Because I was, actually, I come to the court and I was losing to love. I lost the self right away. I was losing to love, you know. Then I won 6-2, 6-4, 6 love. Okay, but what's happening is, if you come to the arena, you, you start to think about the crowd. What the crowd is going to think about me? They will laugh how I serve. My toss is special. My toss is not as good as uh, toss of uh, Elena Stas or whatever it is. You know, and you play some kind of till the point when you win something big. You make a big passing shot. The people start to clap and suddenly all the nerves goes away. You need one big shot, to, which gives you, which gives you the start. And sometimes this big shot come when you are down already for love. But you have to keep trying. You have to keep trying. Doesn't matter. You're losing. You're losing. Okay, I'm losing, but I still go on. I go. You cannot. And you have to. This is a part of the confidence. I played also Zelko Franulovic in the final. I, he was a very good friend of mine. We, we know each other till today. Very, and actually, I was not afraid of his game, of his style of the game. I was not afraid. That's why probably I look like this. But then, you know, in the same year, I lost to him in the finals of Kitzbühel in Austria. Also, you have to realize it's important how your opponent played. Sometimes happens. Some of the writers, they keep saying... The best matches are in quarterfinals. And finals, sometimes, it's bad because one of the guys, he cannot take it, the importance of the situation, importance of the match, because it's a Grand Slam finals, you know. So some of the guy doesn't play his best. So probably even Dejelko, when I played him in 1970, he didn't play his best in the finals. I play okay, but he didn't play his best. And that's happened many times. So, so sometimes you're winning, not because you were just fantastic, but because your opponent, I played my average, but he didn't play his average. You know, you cannot play all the time. You know what between tennis players says that no one play 100%. 100% ever. If the player in the important match play up to his 60-70%, that's mean he play very well. But you cannot go down under 40%. Do you see? I wanted to ask you a little bit about 
the Czech Republic and its history with tennis. It's such a strong history of producing great players for a long, long time. And I wondered if you could tell me why you think it is that this nation is so good at tennis. This is the history. That's what I told you. We were in the uh, already in Austrian Empire. Uh, tennis was, uh, you know, you know that we were. Our association was established 1906 and French Federation 1920, for example. We are, I think, set of fourth country. I think it's the front of us is Australia, US and England. England, those three countries, and we are number five or something like this. You know, so it's very popular. Well, tennis was very popular at that time. And we have a, if you would go around the country, every small village has a tennis court. Two courts, modest, modest. There is a wooden house, you know, to change and so on. And you go anywhere you go. You go to Karlstein, there is a club. You go, you know, anywhere you go is a tennis club. It's a massively main sport in Czech. But then, because of politics went down, because when 1945, when the uh, Second War finished, and when the when the Russia came in, like when we were part of Bolshevism and Stalinism and, uh, you know, 50s, tennis was on the blacklist because they support only the team competitions. Team competitions was soccer and ice hockey. And individual sports as a ski, tennis and golf was for rich people, for bourgeois. It was not supported, but still, in these little cities everywhere, the, some courts, of course, were, were putting away, but still many, many courts around the country. Tennis is a national sport today, because, some, some, you know, but even in the communist, even in the communist era, a turning point was when I won the Roland Garros. 1971, suddenly, the press, they say, Jan Kodesh, he's a product. He's a product of, of system which is able to develop such a champion. So I was some kind of example. So they didn't talk about Koželuch and Drobny because Drobny defected. They didn't talk about Aya Vrzanova, which was a skating, skating champion, world champion. They didn't, but they start to talk about 1960, 1970. So I don't want to be you know, like this. To, I think I, I was a part of this. Part of this to, to bring the tennis on the level again. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about history because you've received the Sports Legend Award in 2011 and the Fair Play Club Award for Lifetime Achievement from the Czech Olympic Committee. As you sit here now, what do you think about these awards? About, about the Fair Play? Hmm. This is the Olympic Committee which, uh, which is giving, you know, um, they, they always try to find out the reason why the guy uh, should get the, uh, the, 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 this trophy. For example, in soccer, the guy uh, says, I hit by hand. Some guys, they do like this, but he says, uh, when they crash together uh, and they get a the yellow card, and some guy says, no, it was not him. Uh, I, I was the guy who did it. So this is, this is like a for award, you know. And I think mainly, mainly, this award, I am not sure, but I think I received the trophy for different reasons. And the reason was that in uh, 1986, 
I think it was 86 or 84, maybe 84. You remember the case uh, uh, Ivan Lendl played in uh, South Africa, Bobu Tatswana exhibition, you know, and you know, and then we played Davis Cup in Sweden, and he, he, I was a captain, and he led two sets to laugh and three laugh, and then he lost, and you know, and he was very upset. And on the press conference, he said they promised me to to to, to give me official passport, you know, to not become citizen of US, but I stay citizen of Czech, but to have a residence in the United States, they didn't want to give me it, so and so and so. This part of the time, and that happened, that suddenly uh, the, the Minister of Sports called me because we lost five laugh against Sweden and the press was very upset, Jelendl, he, he didn't want to win and it was a, some kind of boycott against the Czech Republic or whatever, you know, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> so he called me. And uh, I come in into his office and he said, Jan, you have to put Lendl out of the team. And I said, well, I'm not going to do it. And he said, you have to, you have to take him out of it. I, I, they, and they, he was screaming, yelling on me because he was getting from the top. Uh, from the, uh, not the government, but the, uh, it, it was uh, communist party officers and so on, you know, that uh, he is a bad, um, he is bad example for our students, that he is traveling and he stays most of the time in America, he doesn't come back home, he's, you know, he's the bad example and this is not good for the development of, of people in Czech and so on and so on. And he was yelling on me all the time and I, I let him to yell. And, and then when he, when he stopped, I said, look, if you would be on me, if you would be on my chair, would you put number one player in the world from your team? And he was looking like me like this. And he said, no, I wouldn't. I said, that is all about. And he said, okay, but you, on Monday, you will have to do the press conference with CTK, you know what is CTK? CTK is a Czech writer's organization uh, for all press, and you have to explain. So on Monday I go, it was a big room of 50 writers, and they all on me, where you link, you know, so, Lando, he doesn't respect you, you lost five laughs, you should, survey. he, uh, you know, you, uh, you are weak to him, and you, I, I, and they were pushing me all the time, you know, I was like a stone, <laughs> you know, I was like a stone. I said, he didn't give up, he was fighting, the Sundström, Henrik Sundström played his the great match, Willander played very well, doubles, we lost five sets, we were the two match points, we were unlucky, you know, you know, and that, uh, I was defend him and I think this is the reason what they give me this I, I believe I think it's this I think it's this because I defend Lendl in the most most difficult time there's also another great tennis player that you were involved with or had a connection with Martina Navratilova yes. she says that you were her hero not just for tennis but for your fighting tenacity and helping to confront sports authorities so that players could start to travel. But in your own words, I'd like to hear from you about what you think the legacy is that you've left. I played 96 matches in Davis Cup. Can you imagine 96 matches in Davis Cup? If you compare to these guys like uh, today. At the, so, so first, we, I was the guy which was 
supporter for the country, play for the country. And uh, that, that's the first thing. Second, if I would be leave the country, who would look after development of tennis here? I was the guy which all the time tried to keep tennis on that level. Then I become the captain. After, when I finish the captain, I start to work on the stadium, which was built on the Stvanice, Stvanice Island. After that, I brought first ATP tournament ever in communist countries. We were, we were number one who did the tournament for prize money, you know, for the dollars, paid in dollars, because, because the tournaments, you couldn't do the Grand Prix tournament because it was not a, it was part of ATP later on, but before was ITF Grand Prix, and you had to have, and I brought, I established, I was the founder of the tournament, founder of the Challenger and founder of the ATP tournament. The first event, I, I was the tournament director for 12 years. And first event, they call it CEDOK Open, uh, C-E-D-E-K, which is a tourist organization. And the most important was how to get the prize money in dollars. So I was fighting with the officials, also with this minister of sports uh, who was yelling on me and so. So I said, look, we have a stadium, we have to do on the stadium, we have to... Navratilova is coming for the Fed Cup. What is going to happen when the stadium is finished, when the Federation is gone? Every year we are going to have an ATP event, every year we are going to have an exhibition, every year we are going to do something. You know, so I was, all the time, I was like an like ambassador of tennis. And I was not a president of tennis association. I was still, I was still like a... I was still a player which still playing and there was a captain, but they were some higher, higher officials in tennis, but they didn't do this, you know. I think uh, I left a lot, you know, so in, in one way, you know, and we'll see what is going to in the future. But anyway, later on, you know, I was moved uh, away, you know, so. Jan Kodesh, it's been amazing listening to your story. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And I can't wait to read your book, which is flying to me as we speak. Thank you very much, Jan. Okay, thank you. The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to our discussion with Jan Kodesh. I grew up watching the great players he mentioned in this interview, like Ivan Lendl and Martina Navratilova, and so it was fascinating to listen to the stories behind their career journeys. I especially enjoyed Jan's reflection on discipline and the story he shared about Ivan Lendl working on his backhand. I also enjoyed his views on standing by your players when there is pressure from the administration to interfere and decide who is in the team, and the importance of listening to advice from the people you respect, but having the ability to discard the things you don't think are important or relevant. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. In our next episode, we will be speaking to American basketball coach Joe Prunty. Some of the things that great coaches do is they have uh, amazing relationships, not only with the players themselves, but with all the people within an organization. That doesn't mean that everything is a bed of roses every day. It doesn't mean that everything goes smoothly. There are debates, there are questions, there are tough tasks that have to be handled, but the relationships themselves are always solid. They're built on a great foundation. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. 
And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has a unique story to share, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 